Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast, season three. And we couldn't come over this knoll to get any closer to them because their eyesight is so good. There's 11 of them. There's two lookouts in the cliffs above. We were just kind of pegged down behind this rock and we couldn't move. Where we discuss hunting and fishing. And I've had coyotes doing serenades on the run after two or three howls. They start howling, two or three of them. And you're trying to find them and they sound like, oh, you could tell they were running. Cooking and cleaning wild game. You know, when you go to the grocery store, you don't see the cow, you don't see the pig, you don't see, you know, you don't see the animal. Whereas in the woods, you know, you, I see Josh bring home the deer and skin the deer and pro- we process it together, you know, so you see it broken down, whereas you don't know that when you go to a grocery store. So I, it is a lot of mental. Hits, misses, and everything in between. So he came into about 80 yards and then we dumped. Go ahead and say it. 26 rounds Ooh. before we finally killed it. 26 rounds. Thank you for listening. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Predator Hunter Outdoors has everything you need for predator hunting, including calls, lights, tripods and mounts, night vision and thermal. Locally owned and operated in Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors has your needs covered to keep you hunting after the sun goes down. Carrying products for every budget and every experience level from beginner to professional. Use code LIGHT for 20% off lights, code TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts, and PTO Thermal for 10% off Predator Thermal Optics scopes and monoculars. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors or their website www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Want to lengthen your time in the field and shorten your scouting time? Not only does the HuntWise app show you property boundaries, landowners' names, and in some cases even their phone number, but using the app will show you the wind direction on the map of the place you want to hunt. And the HuntCast feature shows peak movement times for various species, including predators. Get the HuntWise app at www.huntwise.com, the Google Play Store, or the Apple App Store. For only $59.99 a year for Pro or $119.99 a year for Elite. Use promo code OVERDRIVE20 for 20% off an annual membership. Welcome back everybody to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. It's me again, Josh Mapes this week. Talking to Kevin Roth and we have a guest here from Maniac Outdoors. Harry, care to introduce yourself? Yeah, how you guys doing? My name is Harry Holland. I am the owner of Maniac Outdoors, located right here in Michigan. Now, what part of Michigan are you in? Uh, I'm up in the Thumb area. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you were south of me. No, no, I'm way over in the Thumb, east of you guys. I got I know you. you. West side. Yeah, so you're in like the land of all the like heavy doe populations and stuff like that? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> how have you been doing deer hunting this year? Not good. I finally just started probably on the 15th. Oh, okay. I had a spinal fusion surgery about two and a half months ago. So kind of limited the first month and a half on doing anything. That was on September 12th. So, you know, I got plates and screws in the back. So I'm limited on doing stuff. So it is what it is this year. It's still nice just kind of getting out. Even if I really don't see anything right now, it's just being nice to be out in the woods and, you know, not, uh, sitting in a bed or you know not being able to do anything right now for a while right? <laughs> you know my mom uh she went out and sat with me in the blind a couple weeks ago again <clears> and she was like you know for such an impatient kid that you were an impatient impatient person pretty much in general how can you just stand here or sit here and not see anything i'm like i don't know mom <laughs> but yeah. you can you can leave me here until the moment i am dead i do not care i will nah, be happy I- sitting out here exactly it's just a peace and quiet and just relaxing out there it's the whole nine yards i mean you forget about everything right. <laughs> you got it kevin you're zen out there <laughs> and then, uh, occasionally it's broken up by a gunshot and the smell of gunpowder what can go wrong i mean it exactly. sounds perfect sounds perfect kevin man we have broken the internet again with the love <laughs> from the anti-hunters <laughs> trend i think dude i don't get it like Harry, you guys probably get some of the same thing on your page. It we seems it. like the dumbest things get their attention, and then they just have a heyday with it. Oh, yeah. 
you know, I, I posted a video last week sitting in the snow with my 350 legend. And I got this morning, uh, you're not hunting with a weapon of warm. And I believe it was Kevin that replied, it's only warm after you squeeze the trigger. <laughs> um, tonight, I was told that I can't, I could never kill a deer with a bolt action. Or no, with a semi-auto. <laughs> or no, yeah, bolt action. With a bolt so action. With a bolt action, you wouldn't be able to kill anything. We had one lady that literally was on just, bam, post, comment, 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 comment. That was last week. And she kept saying, I don't know, I had little balls oh. or something. She was making fun of something. Yeah, you there was a, that one. I don't know if that was the same one that was calling us an assassin. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was go, from what, France? I think so. Peter I think that's, is that the one that I commented that pretty strong words from a French person? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> we just, you know, it's so, we let a lot of that crap go by. A lot of times we'll just get on there and delete it. But when it gets to the point where you can't get on there without seeing one negative, it yeah. start firing back. <laughs> well, you, see, you see the ones today from that guy from Canada? Was, <laughs> yeah, you thanked him for the maple bacon, right? Yeah, I said, you know, he, he started going on and on. I told him he was ignorant and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I, at the end, I said, but, you know, you Canadians do make some pretty good bacon. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. We, uh, I mean, like I said, we try not to be like, we don't get on there and say nearly what they say to us. I mean, most of the time we're just saying just jokes back to them because <clears throat> the more you try to make them laugh or you say stuff that other people are laughing about, it just keeps on pissing them off. Exactly. Then, if you turn it and not, you know, go off and uh, just cuss them all out. If you turn it out and like I said, kind of make fun of it right. and think, <laughs> taking and all that stuff. That really gets them kind of a little peeled a little bit more too, which makes it fun. I agree. I we have fun with it. When you want to come do that, I mean, any view for us is a good view. So I don't care who's on there watching it. If you didn't want to watch it, you didn't have to watch it. Yeah, you can come by. <laughs> they seem to not know that, Kevin. I have a question for you because I was talking I with an a answer. guy. I hope you have an answer. I was talking to a guy at work that wants to possibly get into building his own AR-15. He wants to get a deer rifle set up, I think. What are the tools, like the minimum tools needed to do that job properly, in your opinion? Well, if you're talking a complete rifle, you need an AR-15 armorer's wrench at the bare minimum. You will use that to install your castle nut, which attaches your um, buffer tube to the lower receiver. And you will need a wrench to attach your uh, barrel nut to attach the barrel to the upper receiver. That is bare minimum in specialty tools. The rest of it you can pretty much do with regular hand tools. Um, if you just want to put something together that you can take out and you can plink with a bunch of ammo and you don't really care how accurate it is just as long as you're going to hit something with it. Um, but that being said, um, you know, like putting your barrel nut on to attach your barrel to your upper receiver, there's a recommended torque range for that. So ideally you should have a torque wrench, but is it really hundred percent necessary? No. Um, and that will vary depending on what type of handguard you buy as to what type of nut it takes. Mm. Uh, like your standard military configuration uses what they call a Delta ring. And that takes a proprietary wrench to attach that. Whereas most of your free far, free float handguards that you put on now, you can get away with a crescent wrench or a lot of them will include what they call a crow's foot wrench. Um, and most of those you can attach a torque wrench to so you can still get that proper torque. Okay. I mean, when you say specialty tools, can those be bought on a budget or are those expensive items? No, you could buy those on a budget. I mean, an armorer's wrench, if you look around for an AR-15, you can probably pick one up pretty cheap. They, they're they pretty common. And I mean, there's even, I think, military surplus ones out there. They don't cost very much. And that tool will do a lot of your hand guards, and it will also do your castle nut. And like I said, the rest of it, you don't really need any specialty tools. But... Hmm. You mentioned the, the is it the castle nut you said that has to be to a specific torque, but it's not really necessary. 
your barrel nut. Okay. Um, and that's what attaches your barrel to the upper receiver. So if I remember right, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say it's supposed to be between 60 and 90 foot pounds of, oh. of torque. Yeah, there's a pretty good range on it, but that's the torque that you need to attach the barrel to the upper receiver. Now, let me back up a second. There is one more tool. If you're going to install the barrel yourself, you need something to hold either that barrel or that receiver in place during the barrel install. Um, so that is another specialty tool. And there's several ways you can do that. You can use what uh, is called a reaction rod, which is a rod that goes through the upper receiver, locks into the barrel extension. You can use that. You can use a plastic clamshell that you put the receiver in that in a vise and hold it and do that. Or you could use something as simple as a barrel vise and just hold the barrel and do it. Okay. But you do need something to hold those assemblies so you can put that torque on it. So if you don't get that torque right, is that something that could in turn affect accuracy or anything? So the, if you have it too loose, it, yeah, it could affect accuracy. Not only that, but I mean, your, your nut could back off potentially. And, you know, then it's just, you're going to lose function of the gun. Yep. Um, and if you put it on too tight, you risk damaging the upper receiver or the barrel itself, the barrel nut. Okay. Okay. Nope. That was just uh, something I had been talking with a guy at work about. And I thought that'd be a good question for you to answer for people that yeah. might want to get into doing it. Cause it, I mean, in reality is building an AR 15 difficult. It depends on what you want out of the gun. As far as I'm concerned, it's not hard once you learn what to do and you kind of learn some different um, methods to do that. But like, for example, when I build one together, I, I always lap the receiver face. What that does is it trues, it makes sure that the barrel extension is centered and in line with the bore of the receiver. Okay. So I lap the receiver face. I also bed the barrel to the receiver, which that gives it a mechanical lock. So there's no play, no slop. It's not going to wobble. Everything's going to stay true and consistent. Um, then there's different things on the components that you can choose too. I mean, there's cheap crappy components and you have good high quality components. Um, so really it's a question of what components you use and then how you assemble everything, uh, will make a difference on whether you're shooting, you know, a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper at 50 yards, or if you want to stack dimes at a hundred or 200. Which have you heard about that 22, 250 you put together recently? How's that one shooting? Uh, when I shot it, it was shooting really good. Uh, the guy that has it, um, I don't think he shot it yet. He's saying he was probably going to put a scope on it this weekend. So He'll shoot would coyotes with it soon. I hope he does, too. I told him, send me pictures. I want to yeah. see him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I pulled the gun, 22-2050. I mean, I got, a, I got one in a hole. I, think, I love that gun. Hollows are nice rifles. For yeah. the money, they're hard to beat. Yeah. I think... But yeah, I do is like say so you're talking about the AR platform. I'd probably like to do something in like a 350 legend. Mm -hmm. That's what I've got. You like yeah. it? Mm hmm. That's what my daughter shot her deer with two weeks ago. Oh. AR, AR platform 350 legend. Kevin put it together for me. And that one, that one we had the 220 <clears> built, and you just put the upper together for me for the 350. Yeah, I just swapped the lowers. And yeah, I swapped the lowers over once deer season's done. I'll be putting that back to the 223 to get back for coyotes. So, but yeah, I love that gun. It's nice and light with the recoil of it isn't hardly anything. And when I put it on a tripod for my kids, it doesn't knock them out of their chair or anything. Yeah. Nice. But it still has good downrange performance. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Actually, um, you remember Chris Christ, he was on the podcast with us a couple months back. He shot his first deer with a 350 legend this weekend or the week before and he was shooting 180 grain i feel like he said american whitetail or something like that or 170 grain and that thing did some damage i mean that was good entry exit and the heart was like not there anymore so i might experiment with some different loads too i don't know yet because like her buck that one kind of throws me because that would have been like the saddest one to not be able to recover all because yeah. of no blood. But that was the first time I've had that happen too. So 
I don't know. I'm still trying to kill a dang deer with the gun, but none of them have wanted to come out in front of me when I've had it. <laughs> I, I don't get it. Hey, Harry, are you in the limited rifle zone there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so the three fifty, I think, for us, plus it's fun to shoot coyotes with. I mean, shooting a coyote with a 180-grain <laughs> bullet at 70 yards, it knocks them right down. There's no question if you hit them or not. Yeah, I've got a buddy of mine where I travel down to Ohio. He's got a 350 with a suppressor yep. and subsonic round, and that, that thing is just, just unreal. I wonder, that would, would be fun. Would subsonic 350s be enough to kill a deer with, you still think, oh, Kevin? Yeah. As really? long as you use it within its, you know, where you have the energy and the range, yeah, it should be. I mean, shoot people do it all the time with a 300 blackout, and that's yeah. not much different. Can't sound very, like very much going off. No, it's they are silly yeah. quiet. <laughs> that, yeah. would, that would be a fun uh, deer plinker because you wouldn't even clear a field or anything. Yeah, he just shot a nice buck. He's, he's probably mid-150s one mid and probably... Right. About 250, 260 pounds. Yep. And yeah, he smacked the hell out of that thing. How far was it? <sighs> Probably about 100 and some yards, 125, maybe nice. 130. Nice. Well, congratulations to him. Hey, well, Harry, why don't you give us the introduction to Maniac Outdoors? Tell us the story behind starting Maniac, how it came to be. Uh, well, it started probably about four and a half, maybe five years ago, tops. Um, and I've been in the hunting industry for, for a long time. I've done stuff for Nikon, lacrosse, uh, Savage Arms, I mean, Athlon, you know, a, a bunch of companies. And so I've been around a bunch of stuff and I've always seen, you know, I always wanted something about deer nutrition and everybody pretty much who's coming out with deer nutrition or minerals is pretty much more of, um, more of an attractant. And to me, I wanted something to more of a supplement. Um, you know, everybody's geared towards attracting, attracted, attracted, but nobody's really pushing more on the healthier deer herd side. So I kind of consulted with a professor of ruminant nutrition and kind of gave him some ideas on what I wanted. And, um, you know, luckily I have uh, insomnia. So I wake up one o'clock, two o'clock, up for three or four hours on the internet surfing stuff and I came out with, with a blend that I kind of thought would be really cool. And then on top of it, um, I was studying what's called humic acid. Um, more of the stuff was out West and up in Canada. And now it's starting to gravitate more here. Uh, humic acid actually can help eliminate chronic waste and disease prions in the soil level. And we added that to our mix about four years ago when we first started coming out with the minerals. And there's nobody that really has what we have. Okay. Then uh, you add on top of it, you know, the probiotics, prebiotics, the honing yards. And we just kind of snowballed into that. And a couple of years ago, we came out with our food plot blends. And then uh, two years ago, we came out with a synthetic deer urine product. So we got three, it's called Scent Fuel. And we have three types. We have a gland fuel, a scrape fuel, and a rut fuel. So with so, Maniac Outdoors and the products you were trying to put together, were you originally planning on bringing it to the market, or was it just something that you wanted to be using wherever you hunt? Well, yeah, at the time, you know, in here in Michigan, you know, we can use it at the point, and I do a lot of hunting, you know, down in Ohio. Um, and I got a lot of friends, you know, on, throughout the Midwest, and it was more of, you know, I mean, honestly, kind of like for shits and giggles. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a, I got a bag, a label on it and we were, we still do. We sell a ton of it out to Iowa area and it started snowballing more and more and started picking up some steam. And then uh, we were contacted three years ago by deer and deer hunting magazine. They kind of reached out to us, um, which was kind of humbling. And, um, you know, they, they wanted to do a small little gear review on it. And at the time, I said, yeah, that's fantastic. Because at the time, you know, nobody's really had what we had in our products. And then we had our bags manufactured because, you know, a few years ago, we just had, a, like I said, a bag, a Mylar bag and a label on it. Okay. We actually did it right where we got our bags all manufactured. And the small stuff that we did, um, you know, it actually has like a zipper on there. They're eight-pound mineral bags. A lot of people use four pounds at a time or might go, you know, freshen up, might put two or three 
and we have sweet corn molasses and we have green apple. So they wanted to keep that Cenaroma in there. So, you know, for the minimal thing would have cost us, I emailed all our, uh, our um, online uh, shoppers, customers and stuff. And I said, hey, would you guys be interested in a, having a zipper on there? And almost 90% all responded back, yes. Yeah, makes it easier. Exactly. And they can keep that Cenaroma in there, keep it fresh. Um, and, you know, from there, it just starts snowballing. And then we start getting into stores and the online start picking up. Um, we got a little bit of interest for Bass Pro Shops next year. Nice. And, you know, we got quite a few other big companies, you know, that we're talking with right now, um, you know, hoping that it could branch out to about a thousand stores all over the place. Now, can uh, you can you break down the legality or the laws in Michigan as far as mineral and supplement use? Yeah, unfortunately, minerals and, you know, your feed it is illegal in Michigan. You can't use it at all. No, why can they up in the UP? I mean, that's I wish... a serious question. If anybody knows that question, the answer to that question, to me, that yeah. doesn't make sense. If you're trying to eliminate something from the herd, why are you only trying to eliminate it in the lower? Because they only exactly. have five deer in the UP because the wolves ate the rest. Well, that's a possibility too. <laughs> You know, I wish I knew, you know, I went to a, a couple meetings in Lansing and stuff, and I was there at the one time where Dr. James Kroll, Dr. Deer was there and explained it to them, and they did not want to hear anything about it. And I said, you know, I tried to explain to them, you know, if you have a, a, a good product, I'm going to push our maniac out first product, um, a good mineral base. If you have a healthier deer herd, they are less susceptible to any kind of disease. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes sense. The same thing with us. You know, if we try to work out a little bit or we take our multivitamins, we're a little bit healthier above anybody else who doesn't use them. Yeah. And for them, on pushing, um, you know, their agenda where they don't want having, you know, the minerals here. I mean, it is what it is, unfortunately. And, you know, the hopefully one, one best here. The one thing I've been kind of laughing about is they want us to shoot does, which I'm fine with shooting does. But if you want me to shoot some does, let me put out a pile of something. Because I will shoot some does. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Harry. Yeah. Do you know how many other states do not allow baiting like that, like we do? There are a couple states, um, like Virginia. I know Iowa. I mean, as far as baiting, you can't do, but you can use minerals. And there's a certain period of time. Um, there's quite a few other states, too, that within 30 days of your season beginning, you actually have to dig it up or remove it and get rid of it in the area, or you can't even hunt over in that area at that point. So in those areas, do you know if they have any guidelines as to what kind of minerals or what ingredients can or cannot be used? No, no, it's pretty much, you have to go through the state, you know, mandate, you know, you got to get guaranteed analysis on it. And there's, a lot of them out there, they're pretty much just all, you know, all salt-based, 70, 75%. And, you know, they sell, um, you know, in those states. So there's really no set guideline. Say, like you said, if you have to have a certain amount of calcium, a certain amount of phosphorus and copper and zinc and, you know, so forth, there isn't any kind of guidelines, you know, on that. So in a state that you can use this, can you kind of describe the ideal location or way to set up a mineral site i mean do you just go is it the best idea to just go throw it out on the ground somewhere and put a camera on it no kind of like what i like to do i mean i like to get it generally you know off the ground um i try to find a like a rotted out log um then i pour it on the log because eventually it'll leach into it um you know you just can't walk out in the middle of nowhere and just put it i mean it's not a miracle you know drug type of deal um, if you have a heavy deer population, you know, try to put it off a run, preferably kind of off a water source because, you know, it is a salt base. Ours is real low at 34% max. Um, so, and that, that is the ideal thing is pretty much, I generally love to do is put it on a, like I said, a rotted out stump. Yep. Now to, to be able to have these products, is there like a, 
like I know like food is a FDA. So to put something like this out there, is there an organization that you have to get approval on your mix from? Uh, you got to go through the state. Okay. So is it yeah, through the DNR then, or is it through a different part of the state? Yeah, which is Michigan Department of Agriculture Rural Development. Oh, okay. Um, you have to have you have to submit a guaranteed analysis to them. Uh, you have to show the picture, actually the front of the bag, the back of the bag. You have to have a feed license in that state, and then actually you will have a um, somebody from the state actually come and check out your place where you're actually manufacturing bagging. Uh, so that way there's no cross contamination or, you know, you walk into somebody's place and, you know, you got gasoline cans there and you got other stuff there. They want to make sure it's done and done right. So we get, we get inspected once a year okay. and you got to have your license renewed every year so forth. And you got to fill out a, what's called a seed tonnage. So however much tonnage you actually produce, you actually have to fill that out as well. So there, there are stipulations too there. Now to sell to other states, do you have to go through the same process with each state? Exactly. Yep. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. That you have to, like a lot of paperwork. Unfortunately, it has. But I mean, to me, it's all well worth it. I I really love and enjoy doing this. You know, I I retired from a, being a plumber a little over a year and a half ago after twenty four years. So this is my baby, and I've always enjoyed doing this stuff. I enjoy talking to people about you know deer nutrition. You know, granted, I'm not a professor of ruminant nutrition, um, but, you know, I did my due diligence and this is something I do love and I do enjoy talking to people about, you know, trying yeah. to everybody create a healthier deer herd. Yeah. Uh, you said those are eight pound packages? Yeah, they're eight pound bags. Yep. And how much does that cost for an eight pounder? Um, if you go to the stores, we're in 20 some stores here in Michigan. And it, again, it depends what they sell them for. They're anywhere from... Uh, you know, thirteen ninety nine all the way up to fifteen ninety nine depends on their MSRP. Now, could you, you know, do any kind of like a bulk order if somebody were to call you or anything like that? Yeah, we've done stuff in the past, and we just had a sale. You know, if you buy three, get one free. Um, and it's free shipping. It's twenty three ninety nine online, and it's, it's free shipping as well. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the synthetic deer urines now, because I've got all three of my bottles right here sitting in front of me. And All I right. kind—I kind of want to know, you know, synthetics. The first one I ever heard of was Buck Fever synthetics, and that was a long time ago. I don't even remember when they came out. My dad started using them, but synthetic really wasn't like the common at that point. I don't feel like it was most, you know, Tink sixty nine or anything like that that you can buy off off of a shelf at Myers. Now, right now in the state, in our state of Michigan, it's only legal to use certain types of urine right like you can use real urine but it has to be what certified by somebody it's got to be certified by ata and wherever you purchase it from their farm also has to be certified by ata to make sure you know it is cwd ahd um you know where where they're working off their standards okay so real stringent on being a deer farmer or having a, um, you know, a company that actually sells real deer urine. Now, are they doing those tests to make sure that it's just coming from a healthy herd that's not going to get out to the rest of every everywhere that buys these items? Exactly. That's what they're doing. So yeah. is, yeah. is that the benefit then of going straight to synthetic scent? Yeah, there's that, um, you know, not dealing with the extra paperwork and, you know, complying to, you know, the ATA and, you know, paying that money and everything else um, with the synthetic deer urine, it actually will not break down like real deer urine. Okay. Uh, real deer urine, anything over 40 degrees, it starts to break down. Once it starts breaking down, it, it turns ineffective and it pretty much, you know, it's going to smell like straight ammonia. Yeah. It stinks when it pours out in your pocket or something. <laughs> so that's one reason we went to the synthetics. Um, and there's quite a few States right now. I know Virginia, uh, South Carolina, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you can't even use the, um, you know, real deer urine, whether it's ATA certified or not. Oh, really? So they use synthetics. So they're still okay with synthetics, but nothing else, nothing real. Correct. Because you're not worrying about any kind of cross-contamination. Um, 
you know, with the synthetic blends, you know, there's no, you know, animal feces in it, any of that stuff that can actually, you know, cause any kind of issues. Okay. So that's okay. why they're kind of leaning towards, the, uh, you know, running all synthetics now. Okay. So right now in front of me, I have the gland fuel, the rut fuel, and the scrape fuel bottles. Can you go over the difference between those three? Yeah. Yeah. Scrape fuel is kind of more of the, for community scrape, a buck scent. Um, and then we have the gland fuel that is for the licking branch. And we've actually used it quite a bit on putting it on um, buck rubs because it's more of a forehead and preorbital gland. And then the rut fuel, which is our premium estrus. And of course, just what it says, that's more for the rut of a, uh, you know, of a doe and estrus. Now, is that any kind of a mix or is that, I mean, like, would that be more of a mix of like a buck and a doe in that bottle? No, that is straight. It can smell just like an estrus. Okay. So you could also, you don't have to use this right in a scrape. Then you could probably do like a drag rag with something like that. Yeah, exactly. We've had quite a few uh, deer shot this year. Um, actually some good bucks that actually went 150, 200 yards of somebody laying down a drag rag with the rut fuel. And they, uh, you know, they end up smoking them. Nice. Yeah, we, uh, Kevin has had, I've got most of my trail cameras out of the woods now that gun season came around because they're all on public land. Yeah. I just pull the majority of them so I don't go back to a bullet hole through one or anything. But Kevin, man, you had some, you had quite a bit of activity on that scrape that we, we had talked about in the first podcast mentioning this stuff. Yeah, early on in the season, um, when I got the stuff from you, Harry, I, I've never tried doing a, a scrape before. So at one of my properties, I put in a scrape, I hung a licking branch, I used the mock scrape and I used the gland fuel on that. And it was cool to see, you know, I, there was, I think I sent you a couple of videos where it was like, there was a deer party going on underneath that. Um, and you know, my biggest thing is the area that I put it in tended to be more of a pass through area. So a lot of the activity was at night. But, you know, since deer season started, it's pretty much dropped off. Yeah. But it was pretty cool to see um, the deer actually working that and how it works. So that going back to what you guys were just talking about, the whole drag rag thing in a spot like that, where I had a pass through area, there was a rub line on it and all that, but it was more of a pass through area. Would I benefit from doing a drag rag? And if I did, what's the best way to do that? Harry? Yeah, if you have a couple scrapes running through there, I would run it right through that scrape and then run it right, you know, within how far you are if you're bow hunting, you know, within 25, 30 yards of gun hunting, you know, um, run it out as far as you feel comfortable, you know, taking a shot. So my question is, with using that drag rag, um, do you want to try and keep it close to the licking branch or the um, scrape, or are you good like going a completely different direction, hoping they'll catch that and it'll draw them in? Yeah, you can do it running completely the uh, you know opposite direction. You know, okay. I've done it wind before. Um, you know, kind of next to. I'm not going to get into the heavy thicket of the bedding area, but I know where they're coming out mm -hmm. and no rubs over there. There's no scrapes. I try to stay it out of the area, but I'll actually you know tiptoe over through that area. And I'll run it all the way from there and then run it right past my stand within 25, 30 yards, you know, if I'm bow hunting. So to do that drag rag idea, do you have to like saturate it pretty heavy? I mean, how much, how much of the um, product would you actually have to use to do something like that? Not much. I mean, you know, they're four ounce bottles. You know, you can put a half ounce and, you know, you should, you won't have no problems at all. Okay. Yeah, you oh, can you put know, the whole Kevin. bottle on there too if you want to, Kev. Right. Yeah, you could. You'll I mean, be smelling yeah. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, honestly, with the mock scrapes, you know, I start running my mock scrapes, honestly, probably I start around probably end of July, mid July area. Hmm. And I start running them. You know, a lot of people, misnomers, you know, always think the scrapes are just for, um, you know, during the rut. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there a lot of them are communal scrapes. You'll get more does on scrapes. You know, then you will bucks at times. That's you a know, fact. Community scrape. So, you know, I've had does, you know, get on their hinds and, you know, same thing with the licking branch, the whole nine yards. I have them urinate in it and they're not even, you know, in estrus. You know, it could be late summer, early beginning of the, you know, bow season 
and you know you'll see them urinating and you'll see them working the licking branch and it's just a community thing um, that's what's nice about running these mock scrapes you know i just helped uh, an editor kind of collaborate with him for deer and deer hunting magazine we did a uh, an issue in um for september and uh, we were talking about mock scrapes and running them and stuff and you know running trail cameras and stuff so you know that's something that uh, i've been doing for a long time is running summertime mock scrapes and it's more of getting uh gathering inventory you know intel kyben deal and it you know it, it plus it's fun yeah i agree with that so you, you know get catch a you know catch your buck on there you know if you're not glass in the field because i usually try to hunt um like the pines and white oaks and stuff and try to get next to a thicket and stuff and you can actually you know get in there and you can watch those bucks grow you know starting you know mid-end of july start running those mock scrapes now what is your ideal setup or location for a mock scrape um you know there's quite a few times i run them off of field edges um or i'll get um you know off of a heavy run you know kind of close next to again you know same thing with the minerals type of deal you know, it's not a magic elixir type of deal. Uh, you have to kind of go where the deer still are. Um, so that's my ideal scenario, you know, where there are deer and, you know, off the runs. Uh, field edges are fantastic to run them, you know, off, especially during the rut. You know, you get those bucks cruising stuff and off those field edges and, um, you know, go from there. Yeah, we had talked about that a little bit, Kevin, on the last episode we mentioned this on. Uh, your area you said is a pasture area, but you were along what'd you say pines in there? There's on the one side of the property is a row of uh, red pine, I believe, and it's not very wide. It's only like maybe ten yards wide. It's more okay. of like a windbreak pine row. And then the pass-through area where I put the scrape is actually there's a line of like shumac and scrub brush and stuff like that. That's where the bulk of the rubs were, and that's why I chose that area for the scrape. Then at the opposite end, it goes into all hardwoods and blueberry fields. Oh, gotcha. Well, I think the more you play with it, and if you get to walking around and notice scrapes on the ground, I would just for sure take note of where those are because you could go keep those scrapes open as much as you wanted and have inventory for a whole year. I mean, yeah. like Harry mentioned, for I start, I mean, I've made mock scrapes this year as early as February and just kept them running the whole year. And a lot of does and it's amazing because you'll you'll see the occasional buck or the occasional bachelor group that just happened to cruise through there for the majority of the summer but then it's like june july september or june july august september all of a sudden you start getting more and more and then you start getting those bucks checking those scrapes more often because it's getting closer to breeding time but yeah they're they're fun little spots to go set up right on and whack some does off in the early season because they're it does seem like a lot of them go to those oh yeah you, like i said you'll get a lot more does early season you know hitting those scrapes and stuff and you know they're just checking it out and then you'll get the yearlings and the fawns and stuff all in them and stuff so yeah it, it's, it's a community thing type of deal for them yeah so do you use a licking branch or do you prefer like a vine setup I, I, a little bit of both you know i've actually used a, a hemp rope before um i've used vines and i've used you know the um just regular licking branch and stuff but i always i'm super careful i always wear rubber boots and i wear rubber gloves you know when applying anything especially you know the gland field you don't want to get anything on that licking branch um and then right now for 2024 we are coming out actually with a gel okay. gland so actually it'll stick right to the licking branch and stuff so it's kind of a little bit of consistency of, say, like maple syrup type of deal. Um, so it'll stay on there real good. It'll, it'll still be the same formula, but in a thickness on there. So, yeah, so, it won't fall right off that branch. It'll actually, yeah, stick to it. That, that'd be good. And yeah, probably a little bit of rain, I would think, might not wash it off either. No, it won't. No, we ran that test. I've got, um, you know, I did it here, and I've got some friends down south and in Ohio and Iowa. You know, I got, a you know, five bottles and I spread it all out and stuff. And, you know, it was phenomenal, you know, just the way it was applied. And, of course, you know, how they're hitting it and stuff, too. Yep. Here's a question for you, because I do trapping and uh, we use, uh, are you ever doing trapping, Harry? No, I haven't. Not at all. Okay. So one of the products you use in trapping is what they call a long range call lure. 
and it is a scent mix that you usually put like above your trap set and it stays there and the point is that scent's going to carry a long ways because you have it up high right? right so a lot of those are actually in like a paste form almost like a waxy paste have you ever tried doing that with that because i mean that stuff stays on during rain and everything yeah and it, um we've tried that before but to me it kind of it broke down a little bit okay uh, our consistency because we work with it i actually have our products is done in a lab um so let's make sure you know, it's done and done right and you know there's pheromones we have in our products too so it kind of what sets our products aside from everybody else you know who's doing synthetics right now um, so we tried the heavier, thicker paste, like you mentioned. We find better, found out better consistency with what we have, okay. uh, kind of a type of deal. Sure. Something I had heard on a podcast recently, Harry, was that there's a guy, I don't remember who it is exactly, but he's known for making mock scrapes. And he says that he likes to almost take a couple different brands of different lures and mix them all in these scrapes. And that's when he'll start to see like the bigger deer come into that area is seeing how many different scents are coming out of that. So, I mean, are these all standalone products? You don't, I mean, do you need to use them together? Can you just use them singly and have the same luck on a scrape? I mean, if you were to go just put the gland fuel out and maybe open up the ground with nothing on the ground, do you always recommend putting something directly in the scrape too, or just keep the licking branch open? No, I generally like to put the scrape fuel in there as well. Okay. I mean, you, know, you can run the gland fuel all day long, um, again, because that's, you know, the pre-orbital and, um, you know, eye gland stuff. They're still going to hit it all the time. I kind of like more of the scrape fuel dumping in there. And before I started doing the synthetics for years, when I was using, you know, say ABC products back when I started doing mock scrapes, um, I would actually go from one property to another property when it would be during the rut and I would actually remove some of the dirt that was in a scrape, transfer it over to another area where I was hunting, say another County or, you know, four or five miles away. And I would put it in there and they would actually tear that up too, thinking, yep. you know, another territorial buck coming in. Man, I love running trail cameras on scrapes. The stuff oh, yeah. you see on them is just cool. I've got a video right now of a doe coming through it. And this little buck coming right behind her, and all of a sudden he lets out this big grunt and just takes off running. Like that's kind of stuff. I love running videos and seeing how they actually come in and approach the scrapes. Now, one thing we had talked about earlier with a with the issue I had with a you know two different trail cameras looking at the same scrape this year is my belief is that most of the deer are going to try to circle to the downwind side of a scrape before coming right into that. Is that true or am I making that up? It all depends, but again, you're running scent, and if it's something different they haven't picked up in a while, they're going to come downwind, of course, and just check it out. I mean, that's just, you know, the deer's curiosity, and that's why we love hunting them. Yep. You know, they they are a son of the guns. I love uh, them. Love them. So, exactly, and that's, you know, you got to be careful. Again, that's why I wear gloves, I wear boots, um, extra cautious, you know, and touch anything because, like I said, we were cautious when we're out hunting. You got to be just as cautious, you know, run your mock scrapes and put on trail cameras as well. Yep. And that's why I try to run my trail cameras. I put them up probably about seven feet in the air. Um, and then I kind of, you know, always angle them down. I'd like to get a overall better view of a downward angle on, you know, what a buck actually has. You know, you can get a decent idea on spread and so forth on them. Yeah, I agree to that. And if you're hunting public land, they don't get noticed nearly as easily if they're up above taking pictures from above so i kind of like to run them that way too but it seems to just you you miss a lot of the picture around what happens right there at that location for the most part i want to know what's right right on top of that scrape exactly so how long into the season will you continue using or hunting over scrapes um i'll run them all year till january 1st till our season's over with um, I hunted this morning and afternoon and I got back and I just, you know, freshened them up a little bit. You know, here right now in Michigan, you know, they're pretty much done rutting. Um, you're going to pick up some yearlings, you know, probably by the end of the year, mm. you know, asterisk. so you might get lucky. Um, but I'm not really running or dropping uh, any of the rut fuel in there until maybe the last probably 
week of December here in Michigan. And then I'll just add a couple drops. So it's not like the big first asterisk, you know, rut you get during, you know, late October, early November. You know, it tends to teeter off a little bit for the mature does that weren't bred. And, you know, for the yearlings that one of them, you know, a couple that might come in, uh, you know, to breed. So it's nothing, you know, crazy, you know, how the uh, first rut is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen the second rut just a couple times. It's like when they find that one yearling doe that's hot, every buck around there is trying to get that one yearling doe that's hot. Like, take it easy on her, boys. It's like last year, it was probably maybe a day or two after Christmas, and we got a little bit of snow on the ground. And I'm walking out first thing in the morning, and I'm looking at, on the ground, I'm looking at, like, blood drops, you know, with a doe. I was like, damn, there must be a doe in estrus. Yep. So I went and sat, and it was nothing big that I was seeing, but, I mean, I had action for the first probably five or six hours, you know, in the morning. You know, I had little basket rack six up to, you know, a decent probably 130.10, just chasing that doe all over the place. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. It. Uh, I actually have never even considered putting estrus out after about gun season. I mean, I. I just. I've never thought about it. So that's actually a good pointer because I've, like I said, I've seen what I consider to be second rut, and second rut is always one of those things that you see people going back and forth on. There's no such thing. Yes, I've seen it. No, there's no such thing. I feel like I've seen it like that third week of uh, of december with, exactly. with them running like crazy so yeah i might actually try some of that later in the year because once it gets to be plenty of snow on the ground and terribly cold every time you go out there the woods kind of settled down not as many people are getting out there so i'll be running trail cameras here again pretty soon maybe as soon as this weekend um i'm trying to kill a couple more with my bow man i'm i need to need to get some more meat in the freezer <laughs> so basically your synthetic scent fuels, uh, the gland fuel, the rut fuel, and the scrape fuel, they have no shelf life. They're good. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. They don't break down. Okay. You can run them. You can, uh, you know, to everything else. Uh, and, and also on that, I mean, you know, if you put it out, you know, say, you know, when it's, when it's kind of dry out, um, what happens was it, if you get a little bit of dew in the ground, a little bit of rain, it kind of reactivates it as well. Okay. Oh, it wasted. And like I said, there's no shelf life on it. Um, it's always fresh, uh, you know, compared to the real deal, you know, and like I said, the real deer urine, once it breaks down after, you know, getting above 40 degrees for a while, it just completely breaks down, you know, not like the synthetics. And like I said, our, our products, I try to do everything right the first time, you know, I don't try to cut corners. Um, I try to take pride in, you know, putting out the best possible products Maniac Outdoors can. Uh, just that's how I am. You know, I, I'm a hunter. Um, you guys hunt. You guys work hard for your money. And I want to make sure you guys get all the bang for your buck on the products. And that's why I actually have a lab uh, that actually makes our products. And then, you know, they add pheromones in there as well. So it might not smell like your typical uh, deer urine, what people think, you know, you get that big ammonia smell. It's more, a little bit more of a sweet smell at times. Um, but I guarantee it, I would put our product again in the other product that's out there in the market. Yeah. We definitely knew when it shoot, showed up in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's <laughs> like, you got something here that's uh, stinking pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kevin, any more questions from you tonight? No, that's actually a lot of good information. I'm looking forward to next year starting i think i'm gonna start a lot earlier next year um especially now that i have that stuff and probably try and focus a little bit more on setting stuff up better for when season does finally roll around so that's good information well you know and talking about the wind direction and how they'll a lot of times approach it i'm thinking of the place where you have your one scrape right now that you were having activity on does the most common wind direction out there work to benefit that or would they have to like come around those pines or anything to get there i think with where that scrape location is the predominant wind out there is from the west and so it would be blowing basically right down that line okay and if you look at the cover that's out there when crops are down like they are now the only cover is those hardwoods i talked about for quite a ways so that's actually perfect. That wind's going to be blowing straight to that cover. Gotcha. 
Well, we'll figure it out. You'll you'll eventually figure out where it needs to be and where you're finding the most activity. And they're yep. fun to play with. Like Harry said, they're just it's fun right. to, to make them and watch them be worked. Yep. Yeah, and it, it keeps you, like I said, it keeps you busy during the summertime. And it gives you inventory, too. You know, kind of what's out there. And, you know, if you don't have a large area to hunt, uh, you know, for you to glass field edges and stuff, you know, hang a camera, you know, throw up a mock scrape, you know, mid-end of July, and, you know, you have fun. Yeah, there's nothing that can make me happier in a day. Come, you know, angry at work, and all of a sudden I get a Tacticam notification, and it's like, ah, there's one to go after this year. I love that. <laughs> so, Harry, tell everybody where they can go to find your minerals, supplements, and your synthetic scents. Yeah, they can go to, um, you know, Maniac Outdoors with an S dot com. Um, and then for you guys, you know, if they put in a promo code, capital O, capital D, 15, they get 15% off from Overdrive Outdoors. Yeah, we appreciate that. And so far, you know, we're having fun making scrapes and we've seen a ton of videos from it. I can't wait to get these out before the mad rush of public land hunters gets out again. Because that's exactly. when I have my best luck on scrapes is earlier season when the woods aren't crawling with people. But it's going to be fun to get this stuff to use, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that gel, um, the gland fuel gel, because I do think that's a that's a good way to make it maybe even, you won't go through nearly as much of it if it sticks there and you don't have to keep on applying it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like I said, if you, you know, we can put out liquid, you guys will use more, you guys order more, you guys go buy more. I'd rather have you guys a little bit use less. And have more success with it honestly it's not about the about the big buck with me yeah no absolutely and that's appreciated by everybody that has to work hard for their money exactly <laughs> all right everybody well like he said check them out at maniacoutdoors.com use code capital o capital d 15 you can save 15 percent on the scent fuel products um we got the scrape fuel which is an estrus uh scrape blend we got the rut fuel, which is hot, high octane estrus, and we got gland fuel, which is the forehead gland. So check them out. OD15 for 15% off. If you lift, if you have listened this far, thank you all so much. And we will talk to you all next week on the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Kevin. All right.